the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the... I'm going to be a little bit understated, by the way, as I continue to fight through... uh uh, a little bit of bronchitis and some other things going on right now. So I'm so glad to be able to tell you that uh, we have Peter now coming on today. Peter was uh, unavailable yesterday due to some work with his law firm, but he is here today and he's going to take us through the next couple or three segments of some very important discussions as we discuss not only the cause of the uh, the actual cause of the shootings in uh, El Paso and in Dayton and on a larger scale, the rash of uh, mass shootings that we have seen over the past several years, but also the the perceived or the fake news causes of the mass shootings, including allegations of the president's racism and white supremacy. Peter Kersenow with us now once again. He, of course, hosts the Kersenow Report. He is a um, uh, Cleveland attorney and a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, as well as a best-selling author. Pete, good to have you, my friend. How are you? Fine to be here, Bob. Uh, doing great. We have 32 days until the first regular season game of the NFL season, and tomorrow we've got a preseason game. Nobody cares about preseason usually, but boy, their level of excitement is really off the charts right now. Yeah, well, there's a reason why uh, people are excited, and uh, his uh, his name is Baker Mayfield. By the way, that 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 shotgun, I have never seen anybody shotgun a beer faster than that since you. You were the last one that I saw, honestly, who, I don't know, I, I mean, Baker was close, boy, but I think he gave you a run for his money, but uh, uh, how about it? Uh, right there on the big video board at the Indians, Baker just getting the fans fired up. He knew the camera was on him. He called for a beer real quick, bit into the side of the can, and, and just... Bang! Uh, I guess that shotgun formation, right? Yeah, you gotta love it. I mean, you know, he woke up feeling dangerous, <laughs> and he probably passed out that way too. All right, <laughs> all right, Pete. Let's let's get serious now. Um, there's a lot of elements I want to talk to you about. I want to talk about guns. I want to talk about the proposals for new gun laws, expanded background checks, red flag uh, laws, and more. And then, of course, we are going to talk about the uh, incendiary 
uh, rhetoric of the left and moreover of the mainstream media, which has just decided we're done questioning whether or not Donald Trump is racist. We are just declaring it so. And they are doing it on television on a regular basis. They're doing it in print. Uh, it is just the new accepted uh, um, uh, fact, if you will. You know, if perception is reality, they are indeed feeding this perception to make it a reality that people will see Donald Trump is racist. So I want to get into all of that. Let's start, though, with um, the red flag laws. Um, from a legal perspective, I want to know what rapid due process is, Pete. Um, the president said in his comments uh, comments on uh, the shootings on Monday, the president said we are looking at due process, or excuse me, looking at red flag, flag, law, red flag laws. I beg your pardon. I'm sick here. Work with me. Um, and um, we, we are not going to deny, deny people due process. We are going to give them rapid due process. I don't know what that means, and I don't know how that, how that works. Let me play this for you, Pete, and get your reaction to it. We must make sure that those judged to pose a grave risk to public safety do not have access to firearms, and that if they do, those firearms can be taken through rapid due process. That is why I have called for red flag laws also known as extreme risk protection. And I know you support the Second Amendment, Pete. I know you are a gun owner. I want to know from a legal perspective and from just a personal perspective how you view that. Go ahead. Well, a couple of observations. Uh, I'm unfamiliar with the term rapid due process, which suggests in and of itself that's an oxymoron. Yes. In other words, you have due process. There's no rapid or slow or partial or full. You have due process. Um, I understand the impetus behind this, and I think many people could be sympathetic to it. We do, however, have a Constitution. We have a Second Amendment. I'm not one of those people who is knee-jerk trying to hide behind, as they put it, the Second Amendment. You don't hide behind anything. It's a constitutional right. But nonetheless, I'm willing to entertain ways to keep the public safe. Uh, there are red flag laws all across the country, mostly in blue states like, you know, Oregon, New York, California, New Jersey, and so on and so forth. There are a few, um, you know, non-blue states uh, if you want to uh, throw Florida into the mix. But um, yeah, they vary from state to state. And I don't know what the federal version that he anticipates would look like. But, uh, you know, if rapid due process means that we're going to cut corners, then that is not due process. And there's not a whole... Here's, here's the, the problem. Uh, I think everyone do, wants to be sure that deranged individuals, who probably constitute the majority of mass shooters, don't have firearms readily available to them. I think it's irresponsible to to not take firearms away from people like those that we saw in the last couple of days, Betts and the other uh, person whose name I can't pronounce, down in El Paso. But um, at, by the same token, we have 320 million people in the United States. A significant percentage of those are exercising a right secured to them by the Second Amendment. For example, um, let's take the First Amendment, uh, the right to 
to speech, the free speech amendment, correct? Uh, do you have rapid due process that could deprive you of the right to speak? No, you don't. Okay, we're comparing apples and oranges. You can't necessarily kill somebody with speech, but wait a minute, you can incite a riot. We have doctrines with respect to prior restraint, though, uh, a constitutional doctrine related to the First Amendment. So uh, I'm going all over the map here, but the point is we have to be very, very careful and not provide rapid due process, but due process, period, where there isn't some kind of, you know, truncated hearing that is ex parte, where weapons can be taken away from somebody, and it should be something that not anybody can institute. As I say, in every state, these provisions vary. I'm not familiar with every single one of them. I know some of them. I've, I've looked at these in, in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but in some states... You need to have both uh, law enforcement and some individual familiar with the facts who's maybe close to the individual to present evidence that this individual is a threat to himself or others. And, you know, you've got to have a, a, a fair amount of information to show. That there has to be a clear and convincing standard, clear and convincing proof that this individual poses, poses a risk to himself and society. Um, it preferably should not be an ex parte hearing, meaning that the individual whose Second Amendment rights are being infringed upon should have the ability to have his day in court. That's usually a function of due process. Now, there are ex parte hearings in in the law. That's that's true. Under certain circumstances, you can have that. But when a person is readily available, he should be afforded the ability to defend himself and to have a, a input into the hearing that's going to deny him his Second Amendment rights. All those things can be done. Those things can be done. Can they? Um, well, you can provide people. With, well, well uh, let, let me let me let me let me throw a for instance at you. Um, let's suppose that this Betts down in Dayton who did this. Um, let's suppose somebody called police and authorities and said, "I think this guy's a nut. I think he's a threat. I think he and he's got firearms, and I think the police should come and take them away from him under the red flag laws. Here's your right. red flag. He's got this. He's got that. He's got other things. This is what they say. Okay. Now, in providing him with due process, he gets basically a court date. He gets a hearing date. He gets a whatever you want to call it in order to say, no, I'm not a threat for here's the reasons why. And that probably isn't going to be same day. How could it be? I think that's why the president called it rapid, as if they could somehow do it on the same day. It probably won't be same day. And if that is the case, that this person gets a date in which he gets to make his claim on why he should be able to keep his guns, all he's got to do is move up the date that he was planning to carry out his ter- his uh, terroristic attack and go out there and shooting people up. He may just take it out on a you know on a on an evening before he has his um, his hearing over this matter. So I don't know that those laws, even if you provided them hearings to make their case, I don't know that. That wouldn't change anything. That's why I don't support these laws. Well, um, I, w- I would uh, take issue with that just slightly here, Bob. With okay. rapid due process, what I mean by that, my concern about rapid due process is a person do- is not afforded the ability to present his side in a fulsome way uh, that most hearings will allow an in- in individual. We have in the law right now in matters that are not as necessarily as... Um, uh, 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 fatal, uh, where you've got temporary restraining orders that will be issued. Some of those are issued ex parte, depending upon the nature of the evidence that's presented. 
But typically, you can have a hearing same day. I've been involved, in, in fact, a couple of times I think that I've had to bow out on your program, uh, Bob, is because I've had TROs pending. You get a notice, and you've got to marshal your evidence, get down there, and there's a temporary uh, restraining order. It's temporary. It only lasts for a short period of time. Now, there's a possibility, for example, that with respect to something like this, again, this is a little bit more heightened because it's a Second Amendment issue, where you could have same day, provide the person with notice so he can appear in court. He may not be completely prepared to do so, but neither is the other side. And then there is at least a preliminary or temporary order that only stays into effect for a day, two days, a short period of time until such time there can be a more uh, full-blown hearing on this where you can marshal evidence on either side. But if there appears to be the immediate risk of harm to the public, and that has to be demonstrated to the judge, to the judge's satisfaction, and there's got to be other standards, you know, irreparable harm, blah, 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 blah. Um, then you could have a hearing that same day. It could be done. If that's what he means by rapid, that is that you have an immediate hearing if there's a threat of imminent harm, Then, uh, but then the person has but even, a... Go ahead. But, but even said hearing, you know, you said you have an opportunity to marshal your evidence, gather it all together, and so what, what, is a, what does a person say when somebody says, I think this person is dangerous, I think this person, you know, maybe it's a, a wife and husband had, a, had an argument, had a spat and maybe language got nasty and maybe she felt scared or she just was angry at him for other reasons and she called and says my husband is 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 threatening and menacing and he has firearms come and take his guns this is a red flag this guy's sure. off his rocker what evidence does the guy get to marshal what does he do and come back and say no we just had an argument you know you can't take my there's no evidence here of my quote unquote threat or my Incapacity to have hand, uh, to have firearms uh, and so on and so forth. That I'm a danger to her or anybody else. There's no way to prove the negative that I'm not the threat she thinks I am. And that's why, I, I, whether they have the hearing the same day or six months from now, I just think it's an impossible thing for uh, for you know a, a a a judge to decide. The statute has to be crafted properly. Some states, I think, don't give sufficient deference to the Second Amendment rights of the accused or the person whose gun is going to be taken away from them. In many, if not most states, it can't be done simply on the statement of a single individual. It can't be done on the, on the basis of a statement only of a police officer, for example, or only of a spouse, or only, only of somebody on Twitter. You have to have a higher standard of proof. Again, I think that there, has to be, there have to be due process safeguards attached to this. So it's simply not a matter of, I think this guy is this way, or simply producing one piece of paper, maybe from some psychologist who hasn't even really examined the person. There has to be some credible evidence that this guy does pose an immediate threat of harm, that something imminent is going to be, ha- going to be happening. Some- Right. Same way you do in a TRO hearing. And I think those safeguards can be in place. I, I actually do. I think that can be done. Having done a gazillion TRO hearings, um, you know, some of them uh, are kind of, you know, I, I, I've been on the short end of some, and most of them, thank goodness, I've prevailed on. But I think in most cases it does provide protections. But here, what I would say to you, Bob, is my concern is in the TRO hearings, we're generally not talking about constitutional rights being deprived. 
I do think there has to be a higher standard in any kind of a hearing where someone is going to be deprived of a handgun, just as there would have to be a higher standard for any constitutional deprivation. I do think we can fashion red flag laws in a way that protects Second Amendment rights, but also protect the public. It would be, in my estimation, rare when somebody has a gun taken away from them because they pose a threat to the public. Uh, You know, we've kind of taken a little bit of a look at this on the Civil Rights Commission. There are, uh, there have been about 160 total mass shootings since um, the one that's probably the first one that was considered a mass shooting, the Texas um, Charles uh, Tower shooting, right, back in 1966. And by mass shooting, I mean where there have been deaths of at least four people. There's, there have been different definitions of mass yeah. shooting. The FBI uses a definition of three or more. Uh, there are certain databases that use deaths of four or more. Plus, there are databases that have kill, killings and additional uh, wounded individuals. But using the generally accepted, the one that's accepted by most, is probably four or more. And so there have been 160 mass shootings. Most of those have involved individuals who are disgruntled at work or, uh, you know, there used to be the famous, you know, on Seinfeld, for example, you talk about somebody going postal uh, because there was a rash of post office shootings. A lot of them are workplace shootings. Somebody's upset with what's happened in the workplace. And there's very often, in almost 160 of them, very often there have been warning signs. Just as we saw with Betts, this guy had serious, serious issues for years, and nobody really did anything about it. Down in the uh, the uh, Marjorie uh, Stoneman Douglas shooting, um, that individual had serious problems. People have been talking about him for a long time. There, there was copious evidence this guy was a threat to himself and others, and nothing was done about it. And when you've got evidence like that, you do have a trier effect, meaning a judge. It's not simply going to be a rubber stamp, and he's going to listen to the evidence. It would be a temporary deprivation of the person's uh, rights, but there has to be a high standard there. I think that it would be rare that someone would have their firearms taken away from them. Uh, extraordinarily well, rare that that would happen. But if you're talking about some rapid due process where the ordinary protections are not there, I think that that needs to be examined very closely. My, my concern is there are a number of state statutes out there that I don't think have the sufficient protections uh, that you would expect to protect constitutional rights. It shouldn't yeah, be done I, on the basis of an affidavit of one person. It really shouldn't. Pete. I completely agree, but I don't think that those protections are in there. And what the president was talking about, what Lindsey Graham is talking about, what our mutual friend Hugh Hewitt is talking about, all in support of these red flag laws, because they are indeed dealing with a constitutionally protected right here, and you cannot have that stripped away from you without full due process, not a quick version of due process. Uh, Peter Kirstenau joining us. It's 1024. We're late on this break, but he's going to stay with us for two more segments, a short one and a better one, coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. Bob France, here on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 1027, uh, let's get right back to the conversation with Peter Kirsten. Now, short segment here, about three minutes worth, and he's going to stick with us after the bottom of the hour news as well. Pete, I want to talk about white supremacy, and I know you do as well. I have heard some Lulus coming from those afflicted with Trump derangement syndrome, but I've never heard one as bad as this. On MSNBC, they brought on uh, one of their quote-unquote expert analysts to say that uh, President Donald Trump is only ordering flags to be flying at half-staff 
through tomorrow, August 8th, because 8-8 is a symbol of Hitler. The, the, uh, the letter H is the eighth letter of the alphabet. When you go H-H or 8-8, as in August 8th, that stands for Heil Hitler. And he's just, he's just flaunting it in plain sight. Literally, this is what they're saying on television. That's how badly they want to paint Donald Trump as a racist. Go ahead. Yeah, we've, uh, a sickness has descended upon society that I haven't seen in my lifetime. Um, you know, you're talking about Hugh Hewitt. It, it's true that I, when I was driving in, I heard a little bit of Hugh Hewitt, and he was talking about the 1960s, and I lived through the 1960s, too. And, yeah, that was a, a really uh, volatile period um, on a lot of levels. But there's been a, a kind of psychosis that I think has afflicted so much of society and people that we used to think were at, were at least in positions we thought were responsible positions, and they're saying, frankly, nutty things. Um, there's a statement that somebody made, I, I don't remember who it was, who says, well, if you hear a dog whistle, maybe you're the dog. It seems right. to me that the folks on MSNBC and the left are hearing a heck of a lot of dog whistles that they ascribed to the right that we are we completely oblivious to. But I'm yet to, to see or hear any evidence of Donald Trump being a racist. It's something that has just simply been said over and over and over again. It's the big lie theory. If you say something over and over again, it's big enough lie. And, you know, after it's the a perception while, is reality theory. If, if, if you, if you make people right. perceive it as such, even absent truth, absent fact, if they perceive it as such, it is reality to them, and that is how they'll act. Yeah, and it's developed an extraordinarily toxic environment. They've been inflaming the public discourse. And, um, you know, I've heard certain commentators, even on the right, seem to draw a moral equivalence between what Donald Trump says and what the left, and by that I mean just about every organ on the left has said. And I'm not going to play that game. Uh, would I say everything that Donald Trump has said? Probably not. That's not me. That's not my personality. But the the kind of rhetoric coming from the left has been extraordinary and I'm, i i i just reject this whole idea of everyone needs to kind of tamp this down as if everyone is acting in a similar fashion as frequently and with the same level of vitriol and that is absolutely not the case we have to be clear we have to talk about facts as they are and not make things up like much of the media has been doing and the entire Democratic Party. But again, I repeat myself, they have taken political opportunism to a dangerous level here. Beto O'Rourke has completely, I think, disqualified himself, not just from any kind of office, including dog catcher, but almost any kind of position in society by the statements he's, he's made that are just the height of irresponsibility, and there are others like that. So and they're allowed to be as irresponsible as they want to be, but let the, somebody on the right try to, to, to make the equal and opposite reaction to that or the counterpoint to that, and they're the ones who are going to be held accountable. And Pete, I'm going to use that as an opportunity to break here and ask you about Tucker Carlson last night. If you did not hear it, I will play it for All right, 1038 as we continue now on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, good news. Peter Kersenow has uh, cleared his calendar just a little bit. and can stick with us until the end of the show. So uh, that's great because there is a lot of ground still to be covered here as it pertains to white supremacy. 
as the cause of any of the shootings that have gone on, but particularly of the El Paso shooting because of the racist, white supremacist-style manifesto of the shooter in El Paso. Pete, um, two pieces of audio I need to play for you in order to ask the next question and get your reaction to. The first one is from MSNBC News, or I'm sorry, NBC News contributor Frank Filiuzzi, and, and I may be butchering his name. He was on MSNBC uh, discussing the white supremacist angle of the shootings and President Trump's potential part in it. Please listen to this insanity. Example of that. We have to understand the adversary and the threat we're dealing with. And if we don't understand how they think, we'll never understand how to counter them. So it's little things and language and messaging that matters. The president said that we will fly our flags at half-mast until August 8th. That's 8-8. Now, I'm not going to imply that he did this deliberately, but I am using it as an example of the ignorance of the adversary that's being demonstrated by the White House. The numbers 8-8 are very significant in neo-Nazi and white supremacy movement. Why? Because the letter H is the eighth letter of the alphabet. And to them, the numbers 8-8 together stand for Heil Hitler. So we're going to be raising the flag back up uh, at dusk on 8-8. No one's thinking about this. No one's, no one's giving him the advice or he's rejecting the advice. So, All right. So that's, that's number one, and it kind of speaks for itself. This is, this is Trump derangement syndrome on steroids. But now I want to see the other side. Now that, by the way, is not rejected nor criticized by anybody on the left. This suggestion, however, by Tucker Carlson, a man you're very familiar with, you've been on his program, Tucker Carlson suggesting that white supremacy is not a factor here. Um, he's trending right now on Twitter. Fire Tucker Carlson and boycott Tucker Carlson are both trending right now on Twitter, Pete, because of this. But the whole thing is a lie. If you were to assemble a list, a hierarchy of concerns or problems this country faces, where would white supremacy be on the list? Right up there with Russia, probably. It's actually not a real problem in America. The combined membership of every white supremacist organization in this country would be able to fit inside a college football stadium? I mean, seriously. This is a country where the average person is getting poorer, where the suicide rate is spiking. White supremacy, that's the problem. This is a hoax, just like the Russia hoax. It's a conspiracy theory used to divide the country and keep a hold on power. That's exactly what's going on. A conspiracy theory being but the used to divide the country is what he said. And again, they are calling for his firing and the boycotting of his show, Pete. Um, please take both of those as you will. Sure. Um, Tucker's wrong. You couldn't fit white supremacists into a college football stadium. I'm not sure. Well, you could. You could fit them in, probably into a few of the concession stands. I'm exaggerating only slightly. I've been on the Civil Rights Commission for 18 years, Bob, and sometimes I'm wondering, what have I been doing? Because I'm listening to people on television all the time tell us about the scourge of white supremacy without any kind of modifiers or any kind of uh, adjectives or adverbs related to their statements, they proclaim white supremacy to be rampant throughout the land. And on the Civil Rights Commission, I've got to tell you, Bob, I don't see it. In fact, I've got data. I asked my counsel to collate all the data that we've developed over years, and I've been watching this very closely because, I, Bob, I have listened to these people say these things 
about white supremacy this and white supremacy that, and I'm scratching my head saying, what have I missed? Because this is what I deal with almost on a daily basis, and yet I'm not seeing it. My data doesn't show it. So I've asked my counsel to put, a, put together a compendium of material with respect to purported white supremacy. Let me give you just a couple data points, okay? okay. Because this is a, a discussion, Bob, that I think you and I have had for quite some time. It's something that merits a very long discussion, but just a couple data points. Um, in, in 2019, in a, a nation that has approximately 320 million, there may be anywhere from four to 7,000 clans members, and maybe another few thousand who belong to these organizations like the Adam Waffen and all kinds of other white supremacy organizations. By the way, Bob, the majority of white supremacist organizations consist of two people. In fact, what was hilarious is we found one example where there was a proliferation of white supremacy groups. They grew because two guys separated into two different groups. So this is the kind of math that those who are claiming white supremacy is rampant throughout the land are engaged in. But again, remember, in a nation of 320 million, anywhere from four to 7,000 Klansmen, in 1934, in a nation that had approximately 160 million population, half the population, we had four million Klansmen. This is not a problem that is growing. This is not a problem that's expanding rapidly. This is not a scourge in the land. Not to say it shouldn't be dealt with. That's not the point. We're we're not saying that. What Tucker Carlson is saying, and I think he got some of that from me, frankly, what Tucker Carlson is saying is the left and the media, but I repeat myself, are perpetuating a lie for political advantage, and it's doing untold harm to political discourse and other discourse in this country. It's making people absolutely lunatic. We're hearing statements like the one you, st- you just played from the person on MSNBC. This, this is the kind of stuff. Remember when we had the Kavanaugh hearing and the left went nuts when the clerk was sitting behind him? What, what looked like an OK sign? And they claimed that that was a white supremacist signal. <laughs> yeah. Talk about dog whistles. Bob, I got to tell you, I, I don't know what to say anymore. In, the, in my 18 years on the commission, I have not seen a descent into madness like I have seen in the last couple of years. Trump derangement syndrome is a real thing. It makes people say lunatic things. Far removed from the Trump administration years from now, some of these people are going to look back at their statements, I would think, and say, what the heck took over? What what was I thinking? um, Pete, let me give you another example of exactly, especially when you say the Democrats and the media and you repeat yourself. Here's, Here's an example of this. Yesterday, the New York Times, in their first edition newspaper, um put out uh, this headline uh, covering President Trump's remarks on Monday about El Paso and Dayton. The president, by the way, in those remarks was extraordinary. I played them and, and analyzed each and every line yesterday on this program. The president was extraordinarily unifying, calling for an end to white supremacy, calling for an end to hate, calling for a bipartisan solution in terms of the guns and, and the other situations. He was unifying. The New York Times, in a rare moment of sanity... Agreed, and wrote the headline, Trump urges unity versus racism. Within hours, Democrats went ballistic. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Bill de Blasio, and others just, I mean, they all hammered the New York Times on Twitter for this terrible headline. The New York Times blinked 
You all, you never bend knee to the rage mob is a lesson that we have often learned. They did. Again, they're part of the rage mob most of the time. But because of that, the, uh, all the subsequent editions of the Times and their online editions of the Times changed it to, uh, and, and now I can't even find it. It was something in the uh, realm of Trump. Uh, oh, here it is. Assailing hate, but not guns. So the headline, which was Trump urges unity versus racism, which was accurate was replaced after the left controlled the New York Times uh, headline writers, editorial editors, uh, changed to assailing hate, but not guns. In other words, now we're satisfied because we took a shot at Trump here. That's what we're talking about, Pete, and that is the most divisive thing in there, yet they call him the divider-in-chief. Exactly right, exactly right. Um, I have in front of me, Bob, a, a description of every one of the 160 mass shootings that occurred since 1966, and what's interesting about them is how the media plays each one. Just to give you one example, and there are hundreds of, well, there's at least 160 examples of this, but remember the first Baptist church shooting of November 5th of 2017? You probably don't, and most of your listeners probably don't. There were 27 people killed in that, was that shooting. Was that in Texas? That's exactly right. Yeah, 27 people killed, 20 injured, okay? And hardly any attention paid to that because it didn't fit the media narrative. Right. Uh, did we just white... lose Pete? Hello? Did we just lose sick? Yeah, 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 there you are, Pete. I don't know if things cut okay. out on you there for a second. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, but you st- the last thing I heard was people hardly paid attention to the sh- that shooting in Texas. Go ahead. Because it didn't fit the media narrative. 27 killed, 20 injured. Um, a, a lot of people killed, in other words, more than in El Paso, though you know, this is not a function of counting, but that's, this is the way media approaches things. If it's right. big, they cover the thing. Okay? But it didn't fit their media narrative because a bunch of white Christians were killed in church okay, and, and shot in church. It, but you do hear of situations like the Walmart shooting because it fits their narrative. Again, remember when the Dallas police officers were shot, six assassinated, nine injured by the individual who was reacting to all the rhetoric related to hands up, don't shoot, and the, the claim that police are targeting black males. That got maybe a minute's worth of attention. The point I'm making here, Bob, is when you go through the 160 here, and it, this wasn't the case back as early as the 19, uh, you know, 80s or 90s, but it's become increasingly the case is the ones that the media pick out as being particularly reprehensible or egregious or noteworthy are those that fall within their narrative. And if they don't fall within their narrative, they seize upon things that, that help them craft a narrative or they simply make it up like they're doing yeah. it right now. It's truly an extraordinary thing. The guy in Dayton doesn't serve their purposes, so you're not right. hearing quite as much about it. Here's a guy who extolled Antifa and others, but nope, they don't want to talk about that stuff. And also Antifa, the guy socialism, Tesla, Elizabeth Warren called himself a leftist, and oh, by the way, called himself a Satanist. And I think all of those things do have something in common. And Pete, one other quick one before we go to the uh, break here, and, I, and thank you for sticking on one more segment after this too, but um, in that Texas one you were talking about, 27 shot or killed, I should say, and 20 others wounded, uh, the other part of the narrative, the other reason they did not focus as much attention on this is um, how many more would have been shot if not for what? Right. The man across the street who heard it came out, then went back to his truck and got his rifle and came out and chased that guy, shooting at him and chased right. him off. The, gu- the, pr- the presence, 
Exactly. The presence of that gun stopped more people from being killed in that situation, and yet they're still coming for the guns. Uh, Pete, will come back and finish it up right after this on AM 1420, The Answer. WHKRadio.com is where to find the Bob France Authority podcast. Continue on AM fourteen twenty. The answer, Peter Kirsten. I've got uh, five and a half good minutes left with this. Pete, I want to read this to you because um, you talk about not fitting the narrative and you talk about not being part of the uh, agenda. Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm sure you uh, know him, the uh, Harvard-educated uh, scientist. He tweeted on Sunday after this, the uh, second shooting, quote, In the past 48 hours, the USA horrifically lost 34 people to mass shootings. On average, across any 48 hours, we also lose 500 to medical errors, 300 to the flu, 250 to suicide, 200 to car accidents, and 40 to homicide via handgun. Often our emotions respond more to spectacle than to data. Um, he's right. It's context. It is 100%. He did not not call the murders horrific. He did. And yet still he was savaged by the left, a member of uh, which is he is a member of, uh, savaged by the left for not playing into, hey, Trump just got a whole bunch of people killed with his white supremacy. And because we don't have any gun control in this country, he, of course, subsequently apologized, bended knee to the rage mob, which, of course, is the worst thing to do. Go ahead. Right. Never, never bend knee to the rage mob. Never apologize to them whatsoever. Never, never give them a scalp. Don't do that. It just encourages them. And the rage mob is always, I won't say always, most of the time, just wrong. We've talked about these facts here. Um, I think the examples he used are probably not the persuasive ones as far as I'm concerned. I think you should really compare apples to apples. You take a look at what happens in Chicago every weekend. Every weekend, you have more shootings in that one city than you do whenever you have one of these so-called mass shootings. But it doesn't fit the narrative, so it doesn't capture the attention of the media. Those don't count because those are blacks shooting other blacks. That doesn't count. That certainly doesn't fit President Trump's white supremacist causing all these shootings narrative, Pete. Yeah, exactly right. The problem they've got, again, I've got the databases, and it's always astonishing to me, and I don't know why, because I see it on a regular basis, that when I have information about something, because it's within my purview as a member of the Commission on Civil Rights, we've had hearing on these things, we've studied them for literally decades, we've got repositories of data on this, that I hear people just blithely say things that are completely, not just completely wrong, they're the opposite of the truth. Just to give you another data point, because I always think it's very helpful for your audience members to go out armed because they're subjected to so much, uh, I'm trying to use a good euphemism here, they're, they're subjected to so much misinformation. This whole matter of mass shootings is somewhat of a recent phenomenon. They've occurred, like I said, I've got a list of 160 here since the 1966 Texas shooting. But in the LBJ administration, there would be one mass shooting, again, defined as four killed uh, a year. Same in the Nixon administration, the Ford administration, the Carter administration, the Reagan administration, it spiked up to about 1.9 and stayed there through the H.W. Bush administration. Another slight uptick during the Clinton and George W. Bush administrations. But you know what? It's very peculiar. When you do the math on this, the most significant increase, there was a slight increase from 1966 to about 2006. Over 50 years, there was a slight increase, okay, of maybe about one more per year. All of a sudden, 
again, I know this is going to deflate the narrative for liberals, but this is the kind of narrative they've developed. Under Obama, 41 mass shootings, one quarter of all mass shootings that have occurred in the last 50 plus years occurred during the Obama administration when he was transforming the country, he was the light worker. Now, you don't hear any but he blaming Obama for this. You don't hear any narratives related to this. Of course, he made a lot of statements that if the left were being consistent, they could use to say that he inflamed certain shooters. For example, the Dallas case that I just talked about. Sure. But you never hear that because it doesn't fit the narrative. And the, the right doesn't do this kind of stuff. We usually just say, like, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's not fair, okay? And what I'm hearing right now from some conservatives is that they're trying to draw this moral equivalency between the kind of statements currently being made by the left and statements being made by Trump. And I reject that wholesale because I've yet to hear Trump say anything that is racist, anything that is a dog whistle. And these guys are manufacturing it like the guy who goes to the extreme of saying eight and eight is somehow Heil Hitler. This is craziness on steroids. We have to call it out as such, hew to the facts, and make sure that we don't descend in this kind of madness that the left would take us into if we follow their path. Peter Kirsten, how brilliantly stated and brilliantly timed. I'm glad you heard the music because that's uh, that's our cue. Uh, Pete, thanks for going overtime with us again. Uh, over, overtime with us again, and coming in on a Wednesday as well because uh, uh, no, we we love having you on Tuesdays. I'm glad you came in. Thanks so much for your great analysis, and we'll catch up. Always next for the best show on radio, Bob. Thank you, my friend. Peter Kersenow, uh wrapping it up for us on AM 1420, The Answer, and uh, that is going to do it. Stay where you are, though. Mike Gallagher is coming up next. Uh, then you're going to get Dennis Prager. Then you're going to get Dr. G. Then you're going to get Jay Seculo, li- uh, Jay Seculo Live and Larry Elder. Stay right here on AM 1420, The Answer. We'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flint. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com. <laughs> 